Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. But I remember like walking by and they had a garbage bag. And I was like, what is that? And my friends were like, oh my God, those are condoms. I, was like, I guess you're being paid. This is On The Fence with Monica Oksami. Welcome back to On The Fence. I'm your host, Monica Xamet. It has been quite some time since we had an episode, and that was due to the Olympics and other personal reasons. However, we are back. And for tonight's episode, I'd like to welcome Georgia Ellenwood, who is a Canadian 2020 Tokyo Olympic hemp athlete. She's an eight-time NCAA All-American and a 2018 Big Ten Athlete of the Year for the Wisconsin Badgers. Welcome to the show, Georgia. How are you today? I'm good. I'm just packing up all my stuff, ready to go back home to BC. So it's my off season right now. So I get to live a normal life for about two months. Yeah, it's always the interesting thing about being an athlete of we go into like, obviously work mode nonstop, always training. And then we have off season. It's kind of like, okay, what do I really do with myself now? I know you dedicate so much of your life, especially this run, because I think it was instead of four years leading up to the Olympics, it was five. And so you are in like training mode, um, getting the cycles, right? Everything all up until that point. And then after it's kind of like, you're just let onto the world, like nothing happened. Yeah. And you're yeah. supposed to just do normal stuff for, for two months. So I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with not working out. Like I, I have the urge to work out every day and like I can eat things that I didn't before and I'm like I need to allow myself the freedom because sometimes I you're so regimented in that athlete uh, mindset that it's hard to let loose every once in a while yeah I totally understand and then also like you want to work out and I don't know about you I'm personally a workaholic so like I if I don't work out I feel lazy but at the same time we can't be working out because we need to let our bodies rest <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think that's the thing. It's like, you have to understand the balance and that's not very easy to understand for someone who has gotten to the point that we've both gotten. And, and obviously it shows hard work. It takes hard work to get there. And so I think maybe I need to put my energy into something else. So if you have any suggestions, maybe I should like do rock climbing or maybe like cycling or something. So just, just something to switch it up. Cause if you're too much into your own sport, I feel like sometimes you can lose the passion for it a little bit. You need to miss it a little bit. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I would say cycling always, everyone said that's a good one. It's not high impact on your joints and you could be outdoors. And I mean, you guys have beautiful outdoors over there versus, I mean, New York is not as pretty to look at. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a good one. I don't really know. I feel like rock climbing isn't tough on your joints. No, I, I think know. it's fine. It works different muscles too. So maybe I'll even try fencing. Who knows? There you <laughs> so go. Bad at it. <laughs> um, nobody's good at it when they start, but it also <laughs> not great on your joints. So yeah. maybe not the best option. We'll okay, save that for when I come visit you. Yeah, there you go. I'll rule that one out for now. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. We always start off with how I met my guests, but ours is interesting. So let's just go with we met through social media <laughs> sounds great that sounds like the the normal route there <laughs> yeah I mean be, I mean you know if you really look at it that is essentially how we met yeah I mean maybe I wouldn't have actually met you without social media yeah. So I think it was a way for us to find each other. And then luckily we did click and now we're friends. So it's like, I think we'll chalk it up to social media because now we're both independently friends apart from how we actually met. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that one. I was laughing because I was like, it's literally the most weirdest way that I've become friends with somebody. I was like, how is she going to navigate this one? <laughs> 
<laughs> you have to say it at some point. <laughs> yeah. So social media, <clears throat> we hung yeah. out, went to a comedy show, a very interesting comedy show, very sexual, and then ended up with somebody talking about killing themselves. Yeah, I think it was a roller coaster on, I mean, it was entertaining to go to the comedy show. It was yeah. just kind of funny with, um, I think people were trying new things and we just happened to be a part of it. So <laughs> I think some of our laughs were just to make them feel a little bit better, but some of them were genuine as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Some of them were, I mean, I was losing at certain points and especially <laughs> when the guy said, the guy or the girl, I don't remember. And he was like, yeah, you look like you dabble in cocaine. I was like, <laughs> we're all dead silent. Like. Uh, what a weird thing to say to a complete stranger we're just, like we're just weird okay <laughs> we're just athletes and that's what you feel from us I guess yeah, I know. offensive <laughs> oh man all right so let's let's get dive into the premise of this is basically talking about Tokyo I mean all Olympics from my conversations with everybody are very different I mean there does seem to be some kind of like thing that happens during the Olympics, which makes it a little more interesting always. Like we had Zika in Rio. I don't remember what there was in it during London, <clears throat> but these Olympics were definitely completely different. So how was your journey impacted with COVID and all of different stuff? And like, what setbacks did you really deal with? Mm-hmm. Well, this Olympics was obviously very different, even though I hadn't been to a previous Olympics, I already knew going in that it might look a little different than um, any of the other Olympics. but it was very locked down. Like I thought we would have a little bit of freedom at least to like explore or talk to people from other countries. And so we did a, a, a training camp beforehand in a place called Gifu and we weren't allowed to leave our rooms. We got escorted everywhere. We were only allowed to eat and train. And so everyone back home was thinking that I'm at the Olympics. I'm having this crazy time. Like, obviously I'm very grateful to be at the Olympics and there is a job to do. Like my main focus is to compete, but you want to take in the Olympic experience. And I think this one was very different in that you do all this training. You're so set on, on going to the Olympics and you want to have a little bit of fun because you're like, this is the biggest stage. If I get too in my head, if I'm too focused on competition, then it could go wrong because you're too focused on it. You need a little bit of balance. And so I think it was hard sometimes for a lot of the athletes to find that outlet while we were there. We felt very um, trapped in our rooms. We felt like trying to to get out of thinking about our competitions because there's so much pressure on us. And so I think that was the main challenge when we were there is like trying to find a way to get out of your head a little bit. And when you're at your home in the comfort of your own home, you can do the things you like. If you like gaming or if you like watching, binging Netflix or whatever, that wasn't as easily accessible. Like the Olympics are on every TV at, at the dining halls and in your rooms and everything. So I think trying to step out of that mind frame for a second was really hard in that environment. But um, maybe it worked for some people. But for me, I definitely was happy to come back and and find a little bit of like therapy and something else. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> That's a good point. I didn't really think of. But I mean, yeah, I'm I'm trying to like remember of what I was doing. Yeah, I was definitely trying to stay busy. And I mean, to the best of my ability, obviously, before I competed. But what you're saying of, yeah, you want to take in the experience. I mean, it is literally a celebration of all of the hard work that you've done. And not just like four years or five years in the situation, but like years. It's not like you you started training five years ago for these Olympics, but you were training your entire life and you made it. This was your goal. You made it. So like, while you are here to work, you're also here to like acknowledge that achievement and celebrate it. But yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, I didn't think of the fact of obviously everybody sitting in their rooms and, and not being able to just like not think about the Olympics. Like that's so much free time though. In a way I spoke in a previous episode about it is I think 
while obviously was not fun for the elite, uh, for the athletes, but watching it as an Olympian, maybe as other people kind of realize this, I think this was like the most like genuine and like human that we have ever seen the Olympians. I think we even maybe talked about this when we saw each other, but like you didn't have your support system there. You didn't have time to like step away and like, you know, like not deal with this. Like you had to deal with all of your emotions. And like, for me, at least for the first time ever, like it didn't seem like we're all robots. That's what everybody always seems to think that we're just robots. We're out there competing, whatever. This is our job. Like we're not emotional, but you saw everybody's emotions like so much more when they won, when they lost. So, I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about it because again, that's never been the case. Like we've just had our support systems and everything. And for the first time ever, we just, everybody was just a human being. Yeah. I wonder if that's like a product of going through so many more additional struggles to get there, or if it's because there were no spectators. So you don't feel as many eyes on you. So you feel more comfortable to release your emotions. So I'm not sure which, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's both combined. Like when we, we just are finally at the Olympics and we're like, wow, this really happened. We like, didn't think it was going to happen. It seems so uncertain. So I think people have been building up all this emotion to, to get to that point. And then finally they achieve what they've been wanting to achieve and they can't control what they're feeling anymore. And there's no one there to like, to uh, kind of limit them on how they're feeling either. Like they feel they're within this group of other people who just did the same thing as them. So I think they feel comfortable to show that, but I agree with you. I think that everyone there was a little bit more comfortable where their emotions on their sleeve. And it was really cool to see as well. And it felt me, it felt more comfortable for me to be myself while I was competing. So a really cool atmosphere for sure. Yeah. Like I said, that was a really interesting thing to see. Obviously, like I said, I mean, it sucks because I know how much pressure it is and how, how that feels. And like when, when even like we won a medal, which was like winning, I mean, I was able to like hug my, my two best friends that were there. My family couldn't come, but like, I couldn't imagine how shitty that would feel not having that or even worse, not not meddling and not being able to just like hug somebody like teammates are teammates but like at the same time like we can we really are only friends to a certain degree because we're all competing against each other so maybe you have somebody like for us we have different weapons so like we're not direct competition yeah but like in your direct weapon I mean again we all compete against each other so it's none of us are just best friends because that's physically impossible we're also rivals I can't imagine what it would be like for someone like we're both like older athletes now and they're in some other sports like gym gymnastics and they compete at such a young age and not having your to be able to have your parents there would be like so impactful you have to grow up really quick and I'm obviously like we're both experienced and we've done many competitions on our own but I mean I went through something that I hadn't gone through before like I was like physically ill on the second day and I was struggling to get through the competition and I remember being in the medical tent after like them trying to to help me recover from whatever I was going through. And I was like, wow. And I didn't have my phone or anything because they take it from you. And I, I, all I wanted was just my mom to be there. I was like, mom, my mom doesn't even know what I was going through. She's like probably stressing out in Canada on the other side of the phone, wondering what I'm doing, why I'm not responding, why I'm not out there doing the victory lap with all the other heptathletes. And so it's just like moments like that, you really need your support system. And so I can't imagine what it would be like for people who haven't had the experience that we've both had like that. That would be heartbreaking for them. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. <clears throat> okay, so what well, we kind of touched on what it feels like. Well, for you guys, do you guys have a lot of fans normally when you compete or not so much? 
only at like really big competitions. But right now we have a ranking system and I'm not sure if it's similar to your guys's, but it's, it's, um, you have to go to really competitive competitions in order to rank high in the world. And so you don't really play with like the smaller meets anymore. You kind of build your schedule based off of who's in the meets, uh, what they're ranked off of like the IWF ranking system, which is like the world athletic ranking system. And then you pick which competitions you're going to go to based off of those two, uh, those two like factors. So the only meets I go to anymore are overseas and they're really well known. So usually there are a lot of people, but if I'm just doing open events, like here in, in Canada or in Toronto, then there's like literally no one and it could be it could be like a practice meet so uh, I'm used to both I think which is is really good training so maybe some people other people aren't like maybe basketball or like some other sports that like soccer might not be used to that environment that makes sense so then for you you weren't really affected by the fact that there was no fans no I actually think it was a bit better for me because I was looking I remember on the last event when I was like on my deathbed (laughs) I was like looking out into because we're doing our introductions and where you kind of run out and say your name and stuff like that and I could see the top of the stands from where I was standing um before the introduction and I was like I can't imagine what this stadium would look like with every seat full like how intimidating would that be first of all I'm not don't even feel well enough to compete right now and yet I am but with the full stadium like of all these people I think it would just be so overwhelming with all of the other issues that I was experiencing at that time so I think it was a benefit in my situation but uh, I think maybe if the schedule is better maybe the the weather was a little bit better not as hot then I would be excited to have that many people and hopefully one day I will just so I can see what it's like and see if I can handle that type of pressure be interesting yeah so for us it was completely opposite in Rio because normally our competitions like our ones fencing does a pretty poor job of marketing depending on what country we're in at our competitions in America they now even limited who's allowed to come into the venue like it's only you're allowed to have I don't remember they started charging but they also for COVID reasons obviously now they have a different policy but at some point they started charging for like safety purposes and like who's really going to pay for fencing also they're not even marketing it so like we can be in somebody's town and nobody even knows about it which is ridiculous different topic but um so we don't usually have a lot of people in our stadiums maybe at world championships but it's still usually just mostly fencers anyway or like parents coaches so I remember walking out at the Olympics, like thankfully, like <clears throat> our psychologists were like, just make sure you're out in the venue, like you're out there seeing things. So you're kind of at least used to these big crowds since you guys don't get to experience them. But like, I remember walking out the day we competed, even still, I already saw the venue. I've already been out there. I, it felt like somebody was walking around with their hands around my throat. Mm. Like I couldn't breathe. Like I couldn't process it. Like it was just so insane to me. Also, we don't even have cameras when we're competing. So I had like, we had cameras following us and I remember being told, so I was an alternate and then they have weird rules at the Olympics that you can't change people throughout the day. Like when you change, you change permanently and nobody else can go back, which is different for us on other competitions. And so we kind of waited until last minute in case somebody had an injury because we all had older, like we had older athletes on the team. So they put me out for the bronze medal match. So like, that's already an absurd amount of pressure. I hadn't competed the entire day. So like, that's my first moment. And I remember like, first of all, being told that I would compete and I like went into panic mode, but again, through like knowing and years of all this, I like talked myself back and I was like, this is just a job. Like you've done this before. The only difference is there's a crowd. Like you've already even fenced this girl. You're going to fence. You've beaten her like nothing to worry about. I'm just going to get out there, do as fast as we can and be done. Yeah. And then like 
as we're competing in my head, I'm like, maybe we don't really need me. Like maybe I shouldn't even do this. And then I'm like getting up, my coach is giving me a pep talk and there's a camera like in my face. I'm just kind of like, please leave me alone. This is not the time. And like stepping out there was insane. Like all these people screaming, like I said, cameras everywhere. It was a complete difference for me. So I feel like at least for the fencing aspect, for the fencers, having an empty state, like empty stadium was probably helpful for them. But yeah, I was, I was just curious of, to see of people that are used to stadiums full of how they would feel about it. Yeah. It's interesting. You talking about like the inner dialogue that goes to your head when you're, you're faced with a challenge that you maybe haven't faced yet. And obviously it worked out well for you. So like when you got started how did you deal with the pressure and stuff like that because obviously like you're saying all these things and you're doubting yourself and that your confidence is like um going back and forth but if you did well in the competition obviously like does it feel different once you get started and you feel the kind of energy from the crowd and you feel everything and then you get into the rhythm like is that what it felt like when you started kind of yeah so actually well to be honest I'm I do really well under pressure and when I'm feeling good on the strip I don't hear anybody I don't know what the hell is going on because I just don't need to like I like have laser focus vision or hearing I guess in that situation for like my coach and like the referee and I don't need anything else there's days where I've competed where it didn't matter who you're putting out in front of me I was beating them like tunnel vision as they call it but in that situation I kind of I did put myself in that situation where I was like, you, I just have to score five points and I can step off this strip. So I did lock out everything and I was doing well. So like the cheering was kind of helping instead of like hurting me. But then we had a moment where my equipment like malfunctioned and they came over to fix it. And I had too much time. I mean, it was probably like a minute. It felt like I was there for 40 minutes with them, like, and me looking around. And that's when the crowd hurt me because everybody was cheering. And I looked around before, again, I I knew the situation. I was like, I'm going to go out fence and step off. But like having that time really threw me off. And I struggled to get back into the rhythm of like shutting it all out. So that sucked. But Ultimately, I did it. Thank God. It just took me a little bit. That's so interesting to hear behind the scenes stuff. And it's it's similar and a little bit different than what we go through because ours is so like, it's like an eight second race and then you get half an hour to warm up for the next one. So we get the time to look around as well. And I wonder if it would be any different if the crowd was full. I think I would, I wouldn't be as um, open with my emotions, as you said. I think it would, it would kind of train me to be, um, to be kind of more reserved with how I'm acting as well. Yeah. So I think, I, like I said, I think that like those factors all help to, for us to really see the emotion. So that's, that's an interesting factor. Yeah, for sure. So you were saying you guys were not allowed to leave your rooms in the village. Yeah. So while we, we were in the village, it was a little bit easier. We did a pre-competition camp and that was way stricter. So it seemed like when we got to the village, we got a little bit more freedom. We weren't allowed to leave the village, but I'm not sure if you ever are in any competitions, but yeah, so we were allowed to, um, we stayed in our rooms most of the time we went to the dining hall and I think that was a problem for a lot of people actually because you aren't presented with a lot of things to do and so a lot of uh, countries that didn't have the same access to food like our countries do their weight fluctuated a lot because they had so much access to the dining hall and so I think it caused a problem for a lot of athletes with getting more access to food so they're eating more right before their competitions and it affected their performance so that's really interesting to me because I've just been trained to eat the food same food that I've been eating 
to know when to eat, that kind of thing. But maybe some countries don't have the same nutritional education as we do. So that was like an interesting factor as well. And then there was like a couple shops and stuff that we were allowed to visit, but I visited them like four times. And it's like, it's, there's not much else to do. Like I, I looked around a little bit. You don't want to walk too much. So um, yeah, it, it was tough to find things to do. If you have like good friends on the team, then, um, then it would make it easier. But you also are only allowed to go in five days before your event at the at the most and then um you have to leave within 48 hours after your event is done so if you don't make the finals you're on a plane back home which is really um unfortunate for some people yeah yeah that's very different I mean that makes that makes sense it sounds a little less strict than what we were told would happen Mm -hmm. obviously rules change but from what it sounded like was that we were only allowed to see certain people and we had to write down who we had to see throughout the day and that we would get like a lot of times to go into the dining hall and that we wouldn't be able like we wouldn't be allowed to be walking around the village so I'm glad that was changed and that wasn't that way because that would have obviously been insane if you have to just sit in your room until you compete like allowed to go at this time to the dining hall whatever whatever yeah yeah it it, it was difficult and we all had roommates and stuff too which was okay but then my roommates left because they were done their events so it was just me in the room at the very end so it was it was a little bit of a lonely experience just because they're forcing you all to do things at separate times so you don't really get to bond with your teammates or your competitors like you usually do so like obviously I'm, I'm still very grateful that I went and experience was amazing the facilities and volunteers were absolutely amazing the people in Japan are the nicest people that I've ever met and so it made it hard to be like upset or like in a grumpy mood when you're there when they're like waving at you and they're like being so nice and like good luck and all this so they brought a very positive atmosphere to it even if like things were really restricting so that was nice that's Mm -hmm. awesome I love to hear that but what did I want to say for us obviously like what definitely sucks is is the fact that you weren't able to be meeting people I mean I think that was like my favorite part of the Olympics which is funny because we meddled like that should be my favorite part but like I don't know just like as an athlete I feel like you and I like have an unspoken bond because you and I don't have to talk about the sacrifices. Like when you, if we do like, or like, you don't even have to explain like what it feels like to have off season and training. And like, we, we just get all these things because even though we're in different sports, like some things are just still so across the board for us anyway, versus you talk to anybody else. And like, you're like, oh, you have to make these sacrifices. And they're like, oh, that sucks. But they don't understand. Like they can, they can never understand of like what we're going through because it's completely different than what everybody else goes through. And I loved that at the Olympics because anybody you spoke to, like, I feel like everybody was like yes let me collect all these friends and every like for the most part obviously there was like the outliers but everyone was so nice everybody was so down to me to like have conversations and I I became friends with people that I would have never expected to ever even meet or like interact with like Serena Williams like the gymnast um like the basketball players so like that was obviously incredible and like that just sucks that that's not what you guys got but I think our presence on social media and across like different social media platforms forms was really big this year even if we didn't get to meet like face to face I was I remember like scrolling through TikTok during the Olympics and the people were like engaging with the athletes so much and it 
it's, I think it makes people realize that like, um, from an outside, outside perspective that like we, us athletes are also humans and that we have big personalities. And that's why when we get to these events that we make friends so easily, because these are people that have gone through the same things. Like you said, they're interesting people. They have really cool personalities. So like, we're also have so many aspects to us outside of just being an athlete. And so I yeah. think that's why it's so cool being at these, these events and meeting people because yeah, you have this bond, but you also really really like who they are. So um, I, I think that's why we tend to have more chemistry with people who have gone through the same things as us. And it makes other people realize that like, we are more than just our sport. Like so many people, like, wow, athletes are funny too. I thought you guys just spawned there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we actually are pretty funny. Like we, we don't just race and then train and then sleep and then eat. Like we also have really big personalities and we tend to get along with each other. <laughs> yeah. That's always a funny thing when like somebody, like they meet me and they're like, wow, you're like really like down to earth and like, you're funny. I'm like, what did you think? What did like, did you think I'm just like this robot of like, I need to stab people. I am done. Yeah. I go to sleep. Like <laughs> That always like made me laugh so much. Like, yeah, I have a personality, obviously. Just like you, we just tend to, to uh, take to a sport or an event and dedicate a lot of our lives to, but it doesn't take away our personality. Right. Yeah. So that's always a funny thing to, to talk to other people about. Yeah. So then you guys, so you guys, com- so you left 48 hours after you competed. So you guys didn't really have events to like celebrate medals. No, like they had the, the medal ceremonies and they had the closing ceremonies, but my, um, 48 hour window was not during a lot of those times so I I was funny because all these rumors other people talking about how athletes like hook up with each other and like mingle and like party and all this stuff and I'm like did I miss out on something like was there something going on that I didn't realize because I went to my event I recovered I like went to watch a few other events slept and went home (laughs) I would have loved to celebrate a little bit but I don't know if other people were or what was going on but I, I really doubt that it was the same as as previous Olympics. I think they were really trying to contain us just for the safety of their people, which is obviously understandable. But um, I, I can't imagine how it would be during another time. Like if if it, it really is true that that kind of stuff happens. But um, I wanted to tell everyone like if this stuff is happening, I guess I'm out of it because yeah, because I can't see it. <laughs> yeah. So for us, it was. I don't know if it's the same. Obviously, in other countries. Obviously, I can only speak about what was happening with Team USA. So for us, it was if anybody meddled like on our team, we would all go to team or like we all had an invite to Team USA house. So I, as an alternate, was I didn't have an automatic invite. I had to be like invited in. Now, as an Olympian that I became one, I can whatever Olympics happen, I can always go to the Team USA house as an Olympian. But like we were all invited, we all got an email or a text message. I don't remember that like we're all celebrating so and so's accomplishments. We went to the Team USA house. Um, we had like there was this one room that was like reserved for like the medalists and families and all that. And we all just hung out there. We had drinks, we had food. And then we were allowed to obviously stay at the Team USA house as long as we wanted. But I mean, yeah. So, so that was obviously happening. I didn't party obviously before I competed. And even afterwards, I didn't really party, but I was told that there were certain countries that were just partying the entire time. Yeah. And then, I mean, I went to, I went to that one, I think I went to team to two team USA celebrations, one for my friend, one for us. And then I went the last night. Oh no, we, there was a party that was organized in a favela where they just brought us all out into the ghetto, but there was like this one house that was just like blocked off for us. 
So I went to that party and then I went to the last night with team team France hosted something. But yeah, I mean, I heard there was like an absurd amount of parties in Rio. Wow. Again, I wasn't part of all of them. Yeah. <clears throat> we, I mean, we also ran out of condoms in Rio. <laughs> um, I was in a relationship. So I, <laughs> I didn't experience any of that, but I remember like walking by and they had a garbage bag. And I was like, what is that? And my friends were like, oh my God, those are condoms. I, was I like, guess you could be safe. Yeah. Yes. Very safe and very active. <laughs> yeah. And then they had a condom dispenser in the dining hall also, or like the Swedes would always, I think it was the Swedes that would sit by there. And like, anytime somebody came by, they would be cheering. But I'm assuming that was not the case in Japan. No, it definitely, we didn't even get that. It was very, um, they didn't want any of that activity going on. I think mostly because of COVID, but also because their culture is not as, uh, we're very different, I think, over here, that that's more acceptable. And so I think we um, we kind of just pretended that that wasn't going to happen. And everyone else thought that too. And so we didn't promote it in any way. So right. we didn't, right. the traditions were not the same as previous Olympics. And so I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously I wasn't involved in it, but like maybe it still went down. Maybe I just was, uh, <laughs> I haven't talked to enough people to see what happened, but in order to make that happen, you would have to put in a lot of effort if you really wanted to. So yeah, that sounds it. And I mean, the beds were made of cardboard, so that would yeah, have also yeah. been interesting. Were they even comfortable? They were very hard. So, I mean, the bed frame was cardboard, but there's a mattress obviously on top. And then you had like a pillow that was practically made out of rock, which is fine. Like it was, <laughs> it was fine to, to sleep. Like I got enough sleep. So they weren't probably as bad as people assumed. And there are very famous beds across social media. I was like, these are the beds when I got into the room. I was like, this is it. And uh, so it, was, it wasn't the greatest, but you, apparently they're reusable and sustainable. So I, I think it was a good call on their part. And I'm sure they were pretty stable. I saw some people balancing on them and testing them out and they seemed fine. So I think that was just a rumor. Yeah, I was going to ask if, if you heard of anybody that, that broke it. I mean, it's made of cardboard. Yeah, no, I think even the, the bigger throwers didn't get the cardboard beds. They got like Tempur-Pedics. <laughs> that makes sense. So they, I mean, they have to be really big during those competitions because they, the, uh, they also had bed extenders for the really tall people. So I don't think these beds were uh, specifically made for people who are really big or really tall. So they had to make some accommodations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense. Speaking of which, can, well, let's go back to the food because from my experience, the food in Rio at the dining hall was not good. And then I went to, did you go to the Pan American games in Lima, Peru in 2019? I got um, announced to the team, but I was struggling with an injury. So I decided to pull out. Got it. So the food there also wasn't great. How was the food in Tokyo in the village? It was actually really good. It was not good at our pre uh, camp, but when I got into the village, you had access to like so many different options. So I think that was the thing. Even if the food wasn't that good or some of it, you, um, you had the freedom to choose. So if you didn't like, it, it's kind of like on you. So like, if you didn't like that one, you can choose something different the next day. So I think the benefit was really to have so many different options. There is like chicken, there's, um, all like type of carbs you could want pasta there's pizza and then there's like the authentic food like the asian food if you wanted to try that so i tried that a little bit after but i had no complaints 
in the village. Like I, I wish I had more time to try out some of the different foods because they had so much and I didn't have enough time after my competition to, uh, to try like all the, the sketchy stuff that I didn't want to beforehand. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. For us, I mean, we had a different variety also, but it just one, I mean, they were completely, I mean, in Japan, obviously they're a lot stricter with the way that they do things and they follow protocols to a T in Brazil, different culture, mm-hmm. everything's more free flowing, whatever. But like, we didn't even have labels on the food for a long time. Like even people for like allergy reasons, we didn't even know like what was in the food. And then it was like either too salty or too spicy. I mean, I told this story on like another episode, but I was eating pad thai and I, I took a bite and I ended up biting into a pepper and my like tears started flowing down my face. And I remember I lost eyes with my teammate and she's like what and I was like I made into a pepper and like <laughs> everybody got up from the table and like brought over like their remedies of like somebody brought me milk somebody brought me ice cream somebody brought me water and then like I just remember I was like I'm not eating here anymore so before yeah. I competed obviously I did um I didn't eat breakfast there because breakfast always left me feeling nauseous but as soon as I finished competing like a healthy athlete I would go in the morning and get McDonald's for the entire day and I would eat McDonald's throughout the day that's perfect that's my guilty pleasure as well after competition I don't know why it's like I think because I never ever get to eat it during the the season and so I like when I'm off I just crave McDonald's which is probably so bad there must be something in it that's addictive because I cocaine for sure (laughs) yeah to be dangerous yeah I think it's I mean I think it's the salt I think it's the fact that we know it's not good for us I honestly can't eat it in America it makes me completely nauseous so yes and I feel a difference like when I'm in Europe I will always go get a cheeseburger it tastes different and I mean it tastes I was fine in Brazil I didn't feel sick I mean I definitely gained weight after I competed obviously because I wasn't training nonstop and I was eating McDonald's but yeah no I mean that was pretty much the only thing that I could eat otherwise I was getting sick so it made sense (laughs) that's so funny so you didn't really get to meet anybody like any of the athletes that you really always wanted to meet no I didn't and like I was kind of watching their events on I didn't meet track people but I kind of already knew of them already and so I wanted to meet people from other sports I was like really determined to do that and um and so I was kind of following their events and stuff and and I was on social media, like watching when they're competing and then they would finish. And then I'm like, are they leaving in 48 hours? I'm not even in the village yet. So I didn't get to meet so many people from other sports that I really wanted to. Plus athletics is so late in the schedule. So um, there wasn't a lot of sports still in the village when we were competing. And so I really, I I wish I would have met more Canadian athletes from uh, different sports. I didn't even see half of them. So I reached out to on social media and I was like, oh, how did your event go and stuff like that? And now we're like connected through that. But um, yeah, it kind of sucks to not be able to actually like sit down with some people and talk to them and and, uh, create friendships there. I didn't get the same opportunity, I think, as you did to to create friendships at the event. So yeah. And you guys couldn't go to other events to watch, right? No. And I, I think a couple of people like tried to sneak into the diving and stuff like that but it sounded like a very strategic plan and I don't think I would be up for organizing something like that and so it wasn't simple to get into other events that's all I mean all the buses were lined up and said that no one from other events so they would check your accreditation to see if you were actually in that event so as long if you could get 
someone else's accreditation for the day from a different event, maybe you could go, but um, it seemed really tough to get in, but they did let people from the same sport watch the event. So I got to watch a lot of the track events and see some world records go down. So that was enough for me. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. <clears throat> so, well, I mean, that's cool. Like that track is just so big and so many different events. Like for us, we don't have that much nearly. So did you guys get to do, did you guys get pins? Did you guys trade pins? How was that? How did that work? Yeah. I mean, the U S team was there way earlier than us because they came just straight from the u.s into the village so they got more than five days and they were really adamant about trading pins so they were all over it i'm not i'm kind of like a shy person so i wouldn't just go up to somebody and ask to trade pins but if people asked me then i would so i didn't trade as many as like some people who made it their mission but um people who wanted to trade with me i would trade with them and stuff like that but it's such a big thing there like pin trading is like a sport in itself so <laughs> some people who were really into it they were like so proud of it they had them all on your their lanyard and you're like i don't even have any pins left they're trying to get pins from other usa people so they could trade those with other countries so it just seemed like too much of a chore for me to do while i was trying to focus but um it was really cool to trade with some of the other uh the countries that asked me and to witness it go down <laughs> it's always so funny explaining to people about it because people don't know and it's just like it seems like such an absurd thing i like tell them like yeah we trade pins at the olympics they're like what do you but not just trade pins like we are obsessed with trading <laughs> and you like I remember like they handed us a bag of it like at team processing and I was like why do I have like I don't know like 50 pins for what what am I giving this to my family afterwards and like I went through team processing with my friend who also was a first-time Olympian but then we got there and I kind of started seeing people doing it and I was like oh like okay whatever and then I ended up getting into it myself and whenever we left the village again I had a different experience like we would leave the village and there's just people waiting outside of like I have like a Sochi pin because he's like can I trade with you for like like for Rio, whatever. Um, so I have different Olympics, but yeah, it's always just so funny to see like Serena Williams, like was taking a photo with me. And then she like ran off to trade pins with somebody. I was like, this is so weird <laughs> to see. Time. I need to trade pins. <laughs> no, literally. She's like, we took a photo and she's like, oh my God, wait. And she like chased some girl from like, I don't know, Venezuela or something. Like I need your pin. Like, do you have a pin? I need to trade pins. And again, it's just like such an interesting concept to, to see. And I mean, we have the same thing happen um, at the Peru Pan American Championships of the same thing. And I mean, I think it's a cool concept because it, it does like in situations, like you were saying, you're shy. Like I'm also not really somebody to like run out to like meet, meet strangers. And I definitely wasn't doing that in the beginning of Rio. I think I started to more so later down the road. Cause I was like, well, now I kind of want pins. And if I don't approach people, I won't get yeah. pins. Um, and I learned too, at that point, like there's so many pins in the U S that a lot of people already had them. So I was like, no, I learned my lesson. And then I started in Peru. I was like approaching everybody to trade pins. So, I mean, I think it's cool. It, it helps like start conversations and, and meeting from different countries. So whoever came up with this concept, even though it sounds insane to strangers, I mean, I think they're a genius. Yeah, I think so. It's a really cool way to connect with the other countries. I think I need to next time be prepared, like bring a pin bag, with all my pins in it and then have a place to put other countries' pins and have them organized. Maybe I need like a pin book or something and labels. So maybe I'll start planning now for, for Paris 2024. I mean, Not even making it, just about the pins. You only have three years. There's less time to prepare. Oh gosh, I get it. I get on it right after this. You're already starting late. I mean, I, I think, well, you're supposed to put them on your landlord lanyard to show off. So I would say you need a backup lanyard in case you run out of room and then you can have a fanny pack 
back of your pins. So they're just always on you. Cause I remember like would leave the room and like someone from a cool country would approach me or like, I would see them like, no, I don't have my pins. I literally just ran out to like get my laundry or like to grab a snack. So that's always a funny thing of, or like cover your jacket in your, in all your extra pins. I need a forward backpack or something like when I can wear on forward and then have it. Yeah. I need some way to display them because you have to put them on display. That's what people do. But they'll have them all on their lanyards. Like, look at me. I'm just like, wow. I'm trading. I'm a trader. You got it. Like we're trading. <laughs> yeah. It legit is a game. It's so funny to see in, in, in real time. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. So what, what would you say would be your favorite part of these Olympics? Again, very different than normal, but what would you say was your favorite thing and your least favorite thing? I would say my favorite favorite thing was when I was out there on the track and I was I might have told you this already but I was high jumping and I was doing well in the high jump and the women's 400 meter hurdles was going on and I was like oh this is like a really cool event I I can't believe I get to watch this like on the track beside them and and like a world record went down that event and I was just like so in awe of actually being able to watch it as I was competing so I was in the exact I had to tell myself I'm in the same event as these girls like world record holders like I deserve to be here I'm jumping really well like they get also get to view me doing my thing and I remember watching them with their flags after like walking around the track and stuff like that and I'd only watched them on tv really before and so I was like major fangirl I almost missed my attempt because I was like literally staring at them while doing their their um victory lap and then I had to like snap back to reality and be like you don't need like you you're here too like these girls yeah obviously they're really good and stuff but like look where you are and then I looked around and you see Tokyo 2020 plastered everywhere I think that's really the moment when I realized like I'm at the Olympics right now and I'm competing on the same stage as these girls that I'm like obsessed over right now and so um that was a really cool moment for me and I think I'll probably remember that forever and then the worst part was probably when I got really sick the next day yeah the heat in Tokyo is no joke in the summer and people had warned me like they people from Tokyo were like super humid like please be careful like drink water even the announcer in the warm-up area would come over the loud the loudspeaker and say 36 degrees or, or I don't know what this is Fahrenheit but 36 <laughs> degrees Celsius today like 90% humidity let's survive together and it's like wow thank you like oh, that <laughs> drink water let's survive this together and oh, I was like hmm, I'm not sure if that's the right thing to say in this situation but uh obviously wording. yeah yeah and so I think I've never faced a more conflicting situation before the last event um I was so sick and like would just like I'd be throwing up so much and dizzy and off balance and all this stuff their doctors were telling me not to run but I don't think I could call myself a true like Olympian if I didn't finish my event and um so even though I knew that I wasn't gonna rank or place where I wanted to place that was like out of the question at that point it was more just about trying to get on the line and see if I I could get the job done and so I think that was like the most um pressure and the most overwhelmed I've ever felt in the competition whether or not my body could like truly do it and so I think that's the most challenging um the most challenging situation I've ever been in and I hope to never be in that situation again I want to be healthy and prepared and ready when I step on the line next time so I'm just I'm glad that that um, decision is done with and I got it done um, and next time I'll be way more prepared for the conditions yeah. there's no thing yeah I wouldn't I mean obviously I wasn't there to compete at whatever but and I've never been there in the summer 
maybe, maybe, but it wasn't, no, we were there. I'm like, are you guys inside when you compete? Yeah, we're inside, but we've been to Japan for a training camp before world championships and world championships were in July. I don't remember it being absurdly hot. Yeah. Maybe. I think the record, like a record breaking summer, like they were saying, that's not usually like this, but um, there's something like quite dangerous about the conditions this summer. So it sounds yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all, it's always good to have those kinds of challenges. I mean, while they suck at the time, but I mean, it, it makes you stronger because you know, you went through it and you're more prepared in the future. So, I mean, these Olympics were tough as it was, but I don't, I don't think you're going to have that same experience in Paris and hopefully in general, Paris will just be back to, um, you know, normal where everybody can interact and hang out and go to events because I mean, <clears throat> it's cool that you got to see while you were competing, like to watch people, which sucks that it was only while you were competing. But I remember like going to swimming. I didn't get to go to that many events because it was difficult to get tickets to like the fun events. My best friend was there. So she kind of organized a few of them, but going to swimming to me was insane like you you watch these people and I mean I don't know to me I had like the entire time I had like this imposter syndrome of like I don't know how I'm here amongst like all these Olympians that I've been watching on TV like it still to me doesn't process that like we're on the same level because how can I be on the same level as Michael Phelps that's not a thing if we're different and like watching him compete and watching like world records being set in since swimming, like was just insane. And that's like, I couldn't process that. Like I said, I still to this point, I'm like, I don't like Michael Feld is up here and I'm down here. There's, there's no way we align, but yeah, no, that I mean, that was my favorite part. I'm like seeing weightlifting. Like, I don't know. I don't really watch it on TV, but like I got tickets to it. And I was like, yeah, let's go. And like, that was incredible to see people throw up like 500 pounds like this. Okay. They're also, just like, they're also probably in awe of what you do. And I think that's what's so cool is that you learn so much about all these different sports and you become huge fans of the sports through that experience. Yeah. I watched all these events on, on TV that I would never have watched otherwise, like sailing. And I was like, I'm so interested in this sport now. And so you become fans of sports that you didn't think that you would be, become fans of. And you're like in awe of what they do. And I think in our position, we can really appreciate it even to like a higher extent because we know what it's like to, to put ourselves through and get to this level. So like what you're thinking about them, they're probably thinking the same thing about you, which is also really cool yeah maybe I mean again I have imposter syndrome so I don't I don't believe that stuff at all but I mean quite possibly and yeah and I think we do appreciate sports a lot differently than other people because again we've like we watch these Olympians compete and we're like yeah like we already have this like unspoken conversation we don't have to have like you went through a whole lot of shit to get here you made it like amazing like now I get to watch you doing this thing that you're just beyond exceptional at so that's always a really cool thing yeah yeah it's so cool where's your bronze medal it's on my desk in my my little box thing that we got in rio oh okay i was gonna say did you frame it or put it anywhere i wonder what people do with that so i i always ask this question whenever i have somebody that's um at a medalist because i've heard so many interesting things about it of like so I heard a cool thing afterwards. We had this like Team USA convention thing um, of like how to deal post post Olympics. And then we had like our red carpet event, which I'm assuming they're not going to have this year. And like we met the president. So again, I'm curious how that whole thing's going to happen. But so they told us there that for the for actual Olympian, the medal doesn't really matter itself. It's the fact that you made this accomplishment. Nine times out of 10, athletes don't even know where their medals are. They don't really frame it and put it up because like for us, it's like, cool, I did it amazing. Like I, you know, I was, I finished third in the world in this event. Next, next accomplishment. But for people, like when people meet me, 
And like I say, I'm an Olympic medalist. They're like, well, where's your medal? Why do you care about the medal? I did it. Why does the medal matter to you? Like there's, there's bronze medals for like, I mean, a lot of other events, but like I won the medal, but like, that's always a question. I'm not upset about it anymore. I get it. I understand. Like for them, it's like the actual, like, oh my God, you won this like chunk of medal. And that's what everyone said. Like these medals are for your family. They're for your friends. It's for them to hold the weight and feel what it's like to win when meanwhile, you actually understand it because you did it. So yeah, I, I, t- I talked to Dwayne Wade about it at an event. I think if I remember correctly, he has two gold medals. One, he said, he said they're both in his safe, but that the strap ripped off the one. And I was like, oh, you can like send it in and they'll fix it because that's what they did with our real medals. And he was like, yeah, like, I don't know. I really never got around to it. Somebody else, I was talking to him. He was moving and he's like, I have no idea. He's like, it's in some box somewhere. But there was a point, it was funny. My I went to a speaking event and I ended up going to like the grocery store afterwards. So I put the metal underneath my car on my my seat in my car so nobody stole it and I completely forgot about it and I had at the time a boyfriend visiting me and he like reached underneath my seat or like it like I stopped and like the metal like slid forward and he's like is this your Olympic medal? And I was like, oh shit, that's where it is. And I was like, I completely forgot about it. And he like could not understand that. He like told everybody this story whenever we were together. And he's like, yeah, this psychopath is just bringing like her Olympic medal is underneath her car seat. I was like, yeah, but like, I don't know. For me, again, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. But for me, it's the accomplishment. So at least now it's just on my desk in the box that we got. That's good. I think <laughs> I think you're right about that. I don't think people like cherish this material item. I think it's more the accomplishment that they did. And even like, I remember being at the airport after and I was with a decathlete who had come forth and, every, <laughs> and everyone who asked us how we did, he was like, I came forth. And they were like, oh, like, good job. But because he didn't get a medal, they didn't look at him the same way. And I wanted to scream at them. I wanted to be like, fourth. He came fourth in the world. Like, do you not understand that that placing is like such an accomplishment? But I think people only see one, two, three is the really important ones. And it's just like, he was that close from a medal. It's not really about the medal at this point. It's only three people are ahead of him in the entire world. And so I think people really get their mind wrapped around this like material item with a medal. And it's like, the fourth place is just one out of it like what what's the difference between either second and third and third and fourth same thing and so I I think it's it's tough because we value the placing and other people see it as like did you win you know yeah yeah. it's very different also you talk to Olympians like I don't know I don't think you and I are any different even though like I have a medal you don't I don't think like for me you're an Olympian I think you're one of the best in the world same thing like Lolo Jones not not a medalist, but still an amazing athlete. She's a summer winter Olympian. But I mean, even on social media, whenever I say anything, my video blew up and people were commenting. They're like, I don't know why you're speaking. You're only a bronze medalist. And I was like, <gasps> only a bronze. What's awesome about this is my peers that are also like medalists or, or non-medalists, whatever Olympians, like not a single one of us will be like, oh, Georgia, I'm better than her. I have a medal. No, like, again, I understand of like, it's like little minute details of versus metal and not metal. Sometimes like split seconds. Sometimes like, I mean, let's be honest, we all understand there's cheating involved in, in sports and especially at the Olympics. Like sometimes that's a factor, but like, I don't know. I never understood that. Like, how can that be like, oh, like you're only an Olympian. Like you didn't even medal. Yeah. Do you understand how few people in the world are Olympians and how much it takes 
to become one. And it's always the people that like never tried in a sport, because if you're an athlete at any point in time, you understand. I mean, like when I even explained it, I like, I don't know, going out to events with my friends and they're like, okay, well, like, can you like walk me through like what you had to do to like the best of your ability to become Olympian. I'm like, well, this, 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 this. And they're just in there like, you must be slightly insane. And I agree. I think there's, there's a level of crazy in all of us because I don't think anybody in their right mind would have the dedication, the sacrifice, the like constant motivation, like to, to do that. Because I mean, like for me, like I, I can't do anything because we have practices on the weekends. Like my friend would be out at concerts and like, I'd be overseas and like, okay, it was like six hour difference. So she'd be calling me like FaceTiming me. And so like, I can be at concerts. I mean, for birthdays, I had to cancel like surprises because I'm like, I know I have to go to practice. And people are like, you know, like I go hang out with my friends. I'm not going to just miss out on my friends. Like I have no friends from high school because fencing was my obsession. That's all I was doing. I was training, competing nonstop while everybody else was out partying. So like, I mean, I had my, my party experience, my freshman year of college, which I didn't even know like how to process because I was never able to be doing all of that. I I think it's crazy. I've seen videos of people who are saying like, oh, I wish I didn't party when I was young. Maybe I'd be at the Olympics. And it's like, it's not, it's also not that simple. Like there are people who work just as hard as you and me and are unlucky that year, or they even work harder than us or made more sacrifices in their life and they didn't make it. So I think it's like important to recognize that like being at the Olympics, yeah, we worked hard, but there's so many people who missed out on it who worked just as hard. Being an Olympian is like something obviously to cherish forever. And it's just like, even if you make those sacrifices, it might not go your way. And that's exactly. how much work can affect you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so- like I said, like a little like milliseconds can cost you that whether you're Olympian or not, or like in my case, like this year, they canceled our last qualifier. So I didn't even get a chance to qualify. And it's like, I mean, that one sucked. It's like, I don't know. I feel like I would feel better knowing that I had the chance and failed versus not even getting that opportunity. Cause it's like the entire time it's like, well, what if, what if I had that moment? What, like, would I have been there? And that was like the hardest for me watching it. It's like, well, this sucks. Like I didn't even get to like, try to make this. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's, I think that's an important thing. So many other factors. And I I just wanted to like comment on these videos when people were like, oh, if I, if I, didn't party when I was young I could be at the Olympics it's like it actually isn't that simple like you also have to make all the right calls you have to compete when it's necessary you have to like all these other things and so um I, it would be interesting to see like someone go through the same steps as us or, or someone else and and see how how difficult it really is because it's easy to say that you want to do it but doing it is like a whole different ballpark yeah and it's like also learning from your mistakes learning from your failures like at a competition you don't do well like you now have to learn from that you can't just be like oh I lost you have to learn from it and then you have to make the correct changes to improve like whether it's your mentally emotionally physically like there's so many factors and I mean there's also like different life events like if your family member passes away at the and then not, I mean, it's never a great moment, but like, right, like at this, I don't know, right before Olympic qualifiers, you're not going to be in the right headspace. Mm-hmm. That's also a factor. Like there's, there's just so many different things involved in it. And obviously, I don't know, that's kind of been my point of like wanting to speak to Olympians and athletes and just people that aren't like your everyday people, because I don't know, we make everyone out to be these crazy celebrities or like robots. And like, I don't know, I've had the amazing experience of like meeting, I don't know, like people that are on TV and, and athletes and all that stuff. And I mean, 
they're, they're usually normal people. And like, I don't know, I, I myself have been like shocked meeting, I don't know, like Jimmy Kimmel, Dave Chappelle, whatever. And I'm like, no, you're like a guy's guy. Like you're my friend. Like Jimmy Kimmel's introducing me to like John Hamm and people at like his party. And I'm like, what? You're literally a normal person. And we watch you and we think you're like, you're this God. And like, yes, I'm like, again, doing amazing things. And yes, you're famous, but like, you're just a normal person like me. It doesn't, there's no difference. No, it's true. I think that's why athletes and sometimes other celebrities connect because there's a passion there that we both have and like uh, a love for what we do to be successful for sure. That's all the questions that I have. If there is anything else that you think was worth bringing up from Tokyo or in general, if you want to let people know how anyone who obviously is trying to to make it I think talk to other people who have been through it because you can gain a lot of experience from talking to people and I wish I had a little bit more because I think I went in a little bit blind and it's shocking how different this experience is than to all the other meets in your past like you you kind of touched on it too but yeah anyone who's like shooting for the next Olympics gain as much knowledge or anything like that as you can to make sure they don't go in as much of a rookie as you actually are because um experience goes a long long way yeah I absolutely agree with that I think in general anything that like you're going for if you can talk to somebody that's already done it like reach out I from my experience usually people are open to talking about it or if like not that person somebody else and just to know like their experience they might have something that like as a tip for you and it's still just like going into it not blindly definitely helps I mean I had everybody tell me I mean like I fence in a team event so like everybody was already telling me how much pressure it is and I was like okay okay I get it I get it I get it but like, I don't get it how it can be more. And they're like, I'm telling you, it is the most pressure you're ever going to feel in your entire life. And I was just kind of like, still like, I get it, but I don't get it. And I felt it. And I was like, oh, I think that was, that made it helpful for me instead of being like, what is this feeling? It was like, oh, okay. This is what they were talking about. I'm not shocked. I am shocked. I, I had my rib popped out because that's how tense I was. So when I was competing, we couldn't get it back in. I couldn't tilt my head all the way. Oh my goodness. It's funnier. Like that's how much stress I felt. And again, like, thank God somebody was telling me, thank God somebody was telling me, like the psychologists were like, go into the venue, spend as much time in there as you can, like hearing like the echoes or like, just, I don't know, like sit there, take five minutes every time you're there, like envision yourself out on a strip. So when you walk out there, you are not going to be suffocated by that. So I think that was a huge game changer. And I like, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't even remember that that was something that I did. And I think just in general, and any experience, new experience people are going into, I think it's important to talk to somebody that's been through it. And we live in a world now where I mean, like, I don't know, like 10 years ago, we didn't have social media like this, where you had direct access to anybody that's out there doing it. Like, okay, I mean, you know, just because someone comments on your photo doesn't necessarily mean you're going to answer because you have so many of them. But like, I don't know if I was in in your sport, and I was younger, like I'd be commenting like all the time, like, George, I have a question for you. Like, I'm trying to become an Olympian, like, please answer me sending DMs, emails, emails like what is it gonna hurt you might see it somebody else might see it and you might again give them that like advice of like you know like what's your biggest advice that you would give to somebody trying to make it in your sport and you have something to tell them because you've had this experience yeah yeah I completely agree and I'm very like open to accepting those kind of questions like I won't respond to the creepy guys but I'll respond to somebody when you need advice about the Olympics so yeah I, I always say the same thing of like if you guys have any questions you have my email like I mean I will happily talk to any any athlete trying to make it in whatever sport because I think it's cool and I I mean again I wish like 
I kind of had that experience when I was younger. Like I didn't get to, I got it at a decent age. I think I was freshman in college or a senior in high school when I got to like speak to my idols. I don't know. I remember it was my like first world cup and a girl that had bronze. I think she had bronze. I should know this better, but I'm from 2004. She definitely had a medal and she was coaching me against this other girl. And I remember like, it, it kind of was like one of those things that like, like an outer body experience. Like I didn't process. And later I'm like, I definitely had an Olympic medalist standing in my corner, helping me try to beat this other girl. That's a world champion. What yeah. kind of space am I in right now? Legit. Wild, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Fencing's a little bit of a smaller sport, so we get to have that experience a lot quicker than say like maybe most gymnasts or swimmers or stuff like that. But yeah, I think that's a big one. That's a big, that's a good, uh, good advice and a good takeaway. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Cool. Well, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day, which now is not that busy. So maybe it's good entertainment for you. Thanks. Okay. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.